1: Welcome to Signal Boost. I'm Zerlina Maxwell, and joining me on the show right now is the VP of Strategic Communications at Blue State, Camon Felix. She's here to talk to us about the one-year anniversary of George Floyd's death. Kamon, thank you so much for joining me this morning.
0: Good morning. I'm well. Thank you for having me. Good morning to
1: you. Of course. Um, I started the show marking the anniversary that we're all commemorating, is the right word? today um, which is the one-year anniversary of the murder of George Floyd and I was you know doing a small reflection moment of just how far we've come since last summer and also how far we have not come since last summer Um, in terms of the progress that was made just in the last year it feels like it in some ways you know localities and certain states and law enforcement agencies did modify their policies. Um, There are some places in the country where they did defund the police and move the money um, into different services. Um, But I guess my first question is, can you just reflect on how you feel today? um, One year since the murder of George Floyd in the sense that you know, we we've made progress, but obviously have so far to go.
0: Yes, those sentiments, exactly. I I will say this. Before, more than anything, I'm reflecting on how many people in the last year um, who previously maybe had gone unaffected by issues like these, who felt both implicated um, and mournful that something like this could happen in their communities and who stepped up and decided to be a part of this conversation in ways that they hadn't been before, whether that was reading as many books as they could about American policing and the history of policing, um, or really just investigating the local um, police force uh, and thinking about the way that money has been distributed. Um, Folks showing up in that way uh, is, different and new. I was talking with a friend this weekend, um, someone I, one of the first people I've seen since being vaccinated and taking new precautions. Um, We were talking about how empowering it was just a summer ago to have been in the streets with people who we maybe went to high school with or college with, who we know 10 years ago wasn't a part of this conversation, who are physically putting their bodies on the front line um, to stand with POC and with Black folks. Um, And so if nothing else, a year later, I can see that, I can see that 30% of the population that is newly invested in this competition in the way they weren't before. Mm. That said, of course, change has been limited. Um, even these new rules for police, more than 30 states uh, and, a, and a dozens of large cities have tried to create new rules that limit police tactics uh, like banning neck restraints um, uh, and um, trying to remove other tactics that coincide with extreme force. But we know that these are minimal, very small changes that only affect a small portion of the violences that typically occur um, during a regular day of policing. Um, We also know that, you know, right after George Floyd's death, uh, a larger portion of the population felt affected by the, quote, Black Lives Matter movement, um, felt affected by these issues, and now less people do. Um, And so we're both seeing um, a lack of holistic, thorough action on the part of uh, power makers and legislators. We're also seeing um, a lack of of interest, a waning interest um, from everyday people who believe that uh, the changes that were made were either enough or have lost faith in any assumption that any change will actually help people or save lives. Um, So I'm feeling uh, grateful for community, grateful for growth, um, but as always, skeptical of the change process um, mm-hmm. that we employ to try to deal with these age-old historic violences um, that honestly won't be dealt with until they're uprooted completely at the source.
1: It's it's so important to understand that when we, we want to make systemic change, sometimes that means we need to, like, dismantle the whole thing. And that's the piece... I've actually, in my... Um, adult progressiveness <laughs> um i think i've become more progressive you know as i get older not less um mm-hmm. but i think i'm i'm more clear-eyed about it right like i know that dismantling so so i remember you know in my 20s you'd sort of hang out with people who were like we need to dismantle capitalism and i'd be like <laughs> sounds like a great idea how are you going to do that and what are you going to replace it with and in the meantime The single moms of babies, how are they going to feed their kids? Like, What are we going to do to make sure that the most vulnerable are not hurt more when the Mm -hmm. system is dismantled? Like, Not Mm -hmm. that they're doing great in the present system, but in the transition to the new one that you're not explaining to me what you want to replace it with, but dismantling capitalism sounds like something that could be under discussion, or let's say reforming capitalism to be more equitable even if if that's even Mm -hmm. possible right but now i think i'm more progressive where i would maybe not even lead with that sort of slogan but i do think Mm -hmm. that in the last year in the pandemic what happened to a lot of people including me is the the state of the current system has been revealed Mm -hmm. to be completely and totally broken so I mean, what would even be, you know, you're not even dis- dismantling much because it was it's being like held together by like duct tape and some glue, <laughs> um, you know, like the system is cracked. It's it. there's a lot of people falling through those cracks. So how do we get to the conversation where that more progressive position, like we need mm-hmm. to change these systems, which is a much mm-hmm. bigger effort. How do we get to the point where saying that is not a scary thing? For, for, you know, mm-hmm. a suburban mom who is going to be impacted when we're tr- attempting to do our, you know, our super lefty progressive policy switch?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great question. And I think part of the answer is starting by talking about the failure of reform. For a long time, uh, the conversation about uh justice and policing has been located in reform. Um, And it matters to say that that's been happening for a long time, because reforms are supposed to be um, or are talked about as sweeping measures that will completely um, uh, rethink the way that policing happens. But every time that initiative pops up, whether it happens at the federal level, whether it happens at local levels, whether it's just sort of social conversation, the impact is incredibly minimal, right? So we're looking at these, For instance, these small steps that states and cities took, um, like banning uh, neck restraints, requiring police officers to intervene when other officers are using extreme force. These are reforms that haven't necessarily happened in the past, but are similar to reforms that have happened in the past. For instance, the kind of uh, m- uh, neck restraints that Shelvin used were not banned, but a similar uh, neck restraint, like the chokehold, was banned in New York a couple of years ago after uh, Eric Garner's death. And still, there was another chokehold that was possible to kill uh, George Floyd, right? So these small reforms obviously aren't the necessary steps that we need. They're first steps, they're baby steps, and in some ways, in some worlds, they can be useful, but they're not the necessary ones. And so I think for people who are invested in this conversation around, like, what does it actually mean to change the system? What does systemic change look like? We have to start by confronting what we've already done and what hasn't worked. And I think if you understand, if you begin to understand the failure of reform, you begin to understand how attractive abolition sounds, right? Mm. You can spend, we can spend the next 50 years iterating and edifying on a system that we know is fundamentally flawed and was based in oppression or we can completely eliminate it, right? And that doesn't necessarily mean replacing it with anything. Part of what abolitionists are trying to articulate is that there is no system that should replace the policing system of our time, because Mm. the policing system of our time isn't a community system. It is not a system that is based in health and and wellness. It is a system that is based in violence and oppression. And the Mm. question of what we should replace it with becomes sort of moot when you realize that, that system that we think has been protecting us, we didn't need at all to begin with, right? Um, and so even right now, part of the conversation are people wondering, well, where is, is this quote spike in crime coming from? I mean, I don't know about you, but I spent the entire year in my home wondering right. if I was going to die, right? right? That kind of anxiety, of course, breeds uh, not necessarily crime, but the kind of environments where harm is, is can happen, right? right? So we're looking... We're creating false causations. We're saying, oh, defunding the police is causing more crime. No, people are hurting. People are in pain. People haven't gotten the care that they need. That's what causes harm, and it's harm that causes crime. Uh, So, yeah, that's part of where I think the rethinking starts, just talking about reform and how that's built. I
1: I love that um, you phrase it this way, that it's the harm that causes the crime, right? And so thinking through Mm -hmm. what the new system would look like, requires an obvious conversation about poverty and education mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. access to health care and mental health care. And it feels to me like those are conversations that everyone should be willing to have because everybody needs mm-hmm. all of those things, no matter what color you are, no matter what, where you live, what race you are, what background, what, where you land on the political spectrum, you need clean mm-hmm. air, you need food, you need water, <laughs> you know what I mean? And you need mental mm-hmm. health and you need your physical mm-hmm. health. Hopefully the yeah. physical health comes from, those other things i listed like healthy food education and water that is clean Mm -hmm. and not filled with lead um for example Mm -hmm. so it feels Mm -hmm. to me like that's a maybe even easier conversation to have before the foundational conversation about policing but Mm -hmm. how do we actually i feel like we don't even have the easier conversation (laughs) We like don't even want to have. We don't want to talk about race at all. We're like, "No, we like mm-hmm. cover our ears. We're like, "No, America's great." Um and black people are like, "Wow."
0: Well? <laughs> like we're just like,
1: "We know some stuff <laughs> about your history." Um So, do you do you feel like this is also a moment to have that larger conversation about education, about poverty, about the ways in which the systems oppress economically, as well. Do you think those conversations need to happen in tandem
0: to get yeah, to, to actually get us to where we need to go? For sure, we can't talk about communities without talking about the health of our communities, like like well, like first of all, part of what we need to start is by framing these things as basic care, like right, mental health care should be basic care. Making sure that people have enough food to eat should be basic care, right? Like making sure that the children in your community feel like they can trust each other and are learning from each other and can trust the adults in their community. That's basic care. And I think when we start to evaluate how we provide basic care to everyone, right, how we make sure that the kind of care that people are getting when they're at their best, when they're at their wealthiest, is the kind of care that people are getting when they're not at the best when they aren't incredibly wealthy. Um, and, and I definitely think that if we start the conversation there, or at least try to locate the conversation in health and wellness, um, that it's easier to understand the flaws of policing. It's, a, it's so interesting that you use the word
1: wellness too, because I think that it, that's a, it's the kind of word where like if you say that, if, or if you say like self-care, you, pi- you do normally picture a white woman like doing some sort of meditation or yoga or like a <laughs> facial or massage or something. Um, mm-hmm. But I think we need to sort of, I don't know, expand what we think about when we think about self-care, when we think about wellness, because it's a radical act to care for self, yeah. to care for oneself, especially in the midst of this, right? One of the things that I've um, said on the show a lot is, fundamentally, you know, yes, it's great to that 30% of folks And especially, um, you know, the white folks who for the first time were like, dude, this is not cool. This is bad. Like they just murdered this man on camera and no one got in trouble. Like that's that seems wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the things I say on the show all the time is. I still exist in a body like my body is one and your body is one that if we walk around in the world and somebody were to kill us, kill us, maim us, Mm -hmm. harm us, they could go home. Like, they mm-hmm. could go home as long as they tell the right story. Mm-hmm. And we know what the story is because we watched a million of these cases. And if you look back, the scripts are almost always the same. They lurched mm-hmm. with an overhand grip. I felt threatened. Like, we know what the story is. He reached for something. I didn't know what it was. Um, I felt fear. <laughs> I, I, it was an imminent threat. We know the, we know the script. Um, mm-hmm. So are we actually ever going to be at a point where black lives matter um until that statement that i just said like you or i could walk out in the world be killed and the person just has to come up with the right story to tell in order to get away with it like we're not our lives don't matter until that's not true right
0: yeah i mean not to get super complicated at 7:50 a.m but like the question of when and whether or not black lives will ever matter is also a global question right it's also Mm, a question about capitalism it's also a question about colonialism um and settler colonialism right um what we are what we're actually having is a global conversation about um the hierarchy of human values and the way that race has been used as a container for human value and the way that that has been socialized across the entire globe so it's not just here where you know, a, a black person or a person who is of a darker skin tone, um, because in other places they may not be considered black per se, but they may be considered of a different uh, named oppressive class that still lies in anti-blackness, right? Like the the notion of our bodies being less valuable than other bodies is a global notion, um, and part of what I have been working on personally, um, not just uh, professionally, but personally, thinking about like how do I locate this conversation beyond the U.S. in a way um, that is helpful to what's happening in the U.S. Like how do we build solidarity and build communities um, outside of the U.S. that actually help us to move things within the U.S.? Um, And there's a lot of evidence for how that has worked. You know, if you read France Fanon, if you read uh, from any organizers, especially socialist organizers, black socialist organizers uh, in the early 60s, they were trying to impress on people early. Like this struggle, Against anti-blackness, the global struggle. Um, Mm -hmm. I think again, like not to get too complicated, um, it's we're not free here. If we're not, if we go to another country and in that country too, we become not free. Um, We're not free if we can, if you and I one day are able to walk, you know, down the street without fear of death here in this country, but in another country, if we were of a different class or caste, would have to face the same fear. Um, So yeah, that's what I'm thinking a lot about um broadening that notion of like when where and how black lives matter and where black lives can be located to um yeah
1: i think that's it i mean as it's it's just an important point to always sort of expand this you know the spectrum that you're considering in terms of um black lives mattering it's a global mm-hmm. issue anti black racism that's a global thing I mean, one of the things that is always so baffling to me is, that, like, there was one time I was, we only have one more minute, and Hannah's going to tell me to break in a minute, but I'm going to tell the story. is like, just, you know, there one of the things about white supremacy is that everybody learns it. Everybody, mm-hmm. everywhere. And so, I remember one time I at I was out in Brooklyn, in my old neighborhood, um, one day, and there were tourists, like sitting outside. We're just all sitting outside because it's one of those bars in Brooklyn that where you can sit outside. And mm-hmm. popular area for Airbnbs, especially European Airbnb tourists. So not not entirely unusual to have German tourists who don't really speak a lot of English um, hanging out at a bar in Brooklyn. That's it. Um, and at one point, this very intoxicated German woman um, comes up to me and one of my friends and basically berates us, like starts a fight. And mm. we're like, "Bam, please, like, you, you know, like, leave us alone. We are buying our business over here. Um, <laughs> and all of a sudden, in the middle of the conversation, she starts to accuse us of saying something about the color of her hair. It was so weird. It was mm. like, you said that my hair was yellow. And I was like, I didn't even speak any of the words that you just said. I don't even know. I didn't even say anything. I don't, we didn't say anything. We're over here minding our business. Um, and then she, she begins to physically assault us, like be- attempt to fit. So she's like swinging at my friend. I'm wow. holding up, like I am blocking it to like protect my friend. Um, and the bouncer wow. Wow. is just watching all of this happen and he's doing absolutely nothing. And I thought for a moment like wow, why isn't he? Helping and then I was like, oh he ain't him because this is a blonde white German tourist And if he calls the police, they're gonna show up and either shoot him or me or my mm-hmm. friend all black people They're not I mean, we're being assaulted by this per- But like the, the white supremacy was deep because the way she was speaking to us was sh- with the knowledge that she was superior and for me it was like wow she learned that all the way from germany i mean not Mm -hmm. germany's bad example but but i think that it's really important to understand that it's a global thing it's not just in the united States. because where she's from um but we have to we have to take a break because hannah's yelling at me in my ear um but come on felix from blue state thank you so much thanks for listening to the signal boost podcast we'll be back tomorrow with more news